today on CityCast Denver. There's talk of a, quote, crime wave hitting Colorado. Earlier this month, Mayor Hancock unveiled a new plan to address this issue, particularly around Union Station and other areas identified as crime hotspots in the city. We're going to maintain those hotspots. We're going to hold them so they don't slip backwards. And we will expand this work to three new areas as well as focus on our downtown core. Illegal behavior and drug activities near Union Station, which has even spilled over to the airport, are simply unacceptable. But I'm not so sure I buy the crime wave narrative, and I know I'm not alone. So I sat down with Police Chief Paul Pazin to get his take on the state of crime in Denver. Today is Thursday, February 17th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Mask. I'm Paul. I'm triple vaccinated. Paul, You're Paul. Nice to meet you. Hey, I'm Bree. Bree? Nice to meet you. We got a thing right here because Paul's are a dying game. Oh, are they? Well, see, I thought they were, but I'm telling you, there's going to be a comeback. Police Chief Paul Pazin, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thanks for having me. So I, we both grew up here. You grew up on the north side. What made you want to become a police officer? Well, uh, there are few professions uh, that have a direct impact on our community the way police officers do. An officer often is engaging with uh, a family, a young person, at their worst possible moment. And a few professions uh, create that space where you can have a positive impact on somebody's future. And from my perspective, actually, let me let me bore you for a second. Um, it's what we do in my family. So my mom has given back her entire life to include uh, helping significantly when we're talking about public housing. And, and uh, there are uh, just uh, things that she's done that have helped hundreds upon hundreds of, of people here in Denver. And then uh, my grandmother is really where that uh, give back or caring gene started. Uh, Lola Trahill is her name, and if you look at all of her kids and grandkids, there's a, a service component uh, to uh, the, the lives that her descendants have given. So It's part of who you are. It certainly is, I think. We were kind of talking about this earlier, but there's this conversation about a crime wave. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little skeptical of that. I live in southwest Denver, and Crime is a problem, but it hasn't. I haven't seen an uptick in my neighborhood in the same way that it's sort of being reported. But this is your work every day. Mm -hmm. What is what is going on? What are you What are you seeing? We're seeing dramatic increases. So, uh, born and raised here, uh, spent twenty seven years now as a police officer in this city. We study crime uh, every day, and I can tell you that uh, we're seeing dramatic increases in homicides in shootings, in robberies, in burglaries, in auto thefts, and in car break-ins. And uh, there was a time when I would call an uptick, say, a, a 5 to 10% increase. We're seeing 55% increase in shootings uh, against the three-year baseline. That is 
significant. We're seeing a 97% increase in auto theft against the three-year baseline. That is more than an uptick, um, and people are feeling it. I, I do talk about auto theft uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, the state of Colorado is the worst state in the country with regards to auto theft. And uh, it was only a few short years ago that that was not the case. Uh, historically, we were uh, at or below the national average. And uh, now we well exceed that area. And from what we see, auto theft itself is like the tip of the iceberg. Uh, auto theft uh, often is involved in shootings, robberies, burglaries, the larcenies, and as we just saw this weekend, uh, hit and runs uh, sometimes that become fatal. And uh, for us to not properly address auto theft when it's uh, negatively impacting family members, when it's negatively impacting higher levels of crime, um, we're not recognizing that, that we have an issue. That actually happened a couple blocks from my house. Um, Joaquin Romero's uh, acquaintance of mine through many different friend circles. I kind of knew him peripherally for a long time. So talking about his hit and run, like you mentioned, this was a stolen car. Mm -hmm. So I can see now laying it out that chain reaction kind of that you're talking about how one type of crime can sometimes lead to other things. I mean, that that family is it's devastated and it's going to be negatively impacted. You know, we got to do something more because the status quo is, is not working. Yeah. And the community, I mean, he ran a boxing gym over by my house and it was just such a community space. So it, I don't know, thinking about it just so much when we lose one person, sometimes we're losing this whole, you know, not just his family is hurting, but the kids he taught, the boxers he worked with. Like, so I appreciate that perspective. Um, I'm going to talk about Union Station, obviously, for a variety of reasons. People experiencing homelessness have been congregating there uh, more often, and some folks are really not happy with what they're seeing in that space. Maybe they're a commuter and they see someone out in the open using drugs. Um, there's concerns about violence, intimidation. The city has responded by increasing policing in Union Station. How is that going? Well, let's go backwards uh, here for a second because um, our uh, initial efforts have been around trying to get people connected to resources. And uh, that has been our approach. That'll be part of our continued approach is to utilize co-responders, substance use navigators, outreach case coordinators, try to get people connected uh, to uh, the help that they are willing to accept. Um, the other aspect to this is uh, we are focused on the criminal behavior, and if somebody is engaged in criminal behavior, then uh, we will take uh, the appropriate enforcement efforts to reduce or prevent that criminal behavior moving forward. Uh, there are uh, resources that uh, we work to connect people to. Uh, the challenge becomes uh, folks that are service resistant or uh, a new term that I'm hearing more and more often is uh, service hostile. And, um, you know, our efforts always are about uh, trying to get uh, people the help uh, that they need if they're willing to accept it. All too often uh, we are hearing uh, no when it comes to uh, trying to connect people to the resources that are available to them. 
have you seen any visible change in the last few weeks there at Union Station? Uh, yes. Uh, so I make it a point. In fact, I went uh, there Saturday, um, you know, a scheduled day off. Not that I have much of a the way of, of, of time off, but um, I if I have a break in my daily schedule, I will drive uh, to go take a look at the bus terminal and the light rail platforms uh, to see what's going on, to, to see if there is progress or, or if there uh, are areas where we need to uh, continue to work with our partners to address. So is it uh, you know, fixed? Absolutely not. But uh, is it better in, in recent weeks compared to where it was prior uh, to these uh, additional efforts? I would have to say yes, and I would say yes because of my uh, ongoing visits uh, to take a look at it personally. And you kind of mentioned this, um, the services that are being offered to folks in terms of like the STAR program, the, the mental health clinicians stepping in and doing things that I think police officers don't necessarily want to do. Or, you know, it's not part of your job description to be helping someone through a mental health crisis. As someone that works in tandem with those services, do you think it would be beneficial for us as a city to have more of, say, the STAR program? Well, kudos to the mayor and city council because uh, we are expanding uh, the STAR program. I do want to highlight that uh, STAR was not a reaction. We were proactively uh, taking the lead on getting the STAR program up and running in Denver. And uh, it was originally set to start on April 1 of 2020, long before uh, folks were even talking about alternative response on the national stage. Uh, We worked with our community community partners for two and a half, three years leading up to the launch of, of STAR, and that is one piece of a continuum of care. And what I can tell you is co-responder STAR outreach case coordinators are all about better outcomes for individuals in crisis, that they prevent tragedies. And that is pretty amazing. But to uh, make the leap that this is somehow the way to address the shootings, to address the homicides, to address the robberies, the burglaries, the auto or the car break-ins. Um, we've been doing this. We've had co-responders since 2016. Uh, we've had the STAR program almost two years now, and the outreach case coordinator is about the same length in time. Yet our shootings, our homicides, our burglaries, our auto thefts, our robberies are going up. So uh, there is a leap that people seem to jump to that somehow alternative response is some sort of uh, crime-fighting strategy, and um, I don't see it. So you're saying like the the STAR program or the co-responders are not a replacement for police? Absolutely not. We reached out to Chief Pazin a couple of weeks ago after he stood alongside Mayor Hancock to announce the expansion of their latest crime-fighting strategy, which revolves around what they call, quote, hotspots. Last year, they identified five of these problematic areas around the city, including the intersection at Federal and Alameda, which is really close to where I live. And now they're adding three more hotspots to the list. These spots will see additional patrols, but also elevated scrutiny through new tech like ShotSpotter, the controversial gunshot detection technology that's allegedly had difficulty distinguishing between things like gunshots and car backfires. Some critics say it only serves as an excuse to get more police in communities that have traditionally been over-policed to begin with. Chief Pazin told me that's kind of the point. 
experts, academics, uh, practitioners, people that study these issues uh, will tell you that uh, often violent crime is uh, concentrated in a relatively small geographical area in uh, in urban environments and cities. And uh, in 2020, if you looked at uh, shootings and homicides, 49% of all the shootings in Denver and 26% of all the homicides in Denver were concentrated into five hotspots. 1.56% of Denver's landmass. Uh, these same experts will also talk about uh, a link to uh, folks that are involved in, in high levels of, of crime and that uh, the best approach is a balanced addressing of both the hot spots and individuals in, involved in these high levels uh, of crime. So those were the initial uh, five hot spots that we worked in collaboration with uh, community members, uh, business owners, in, in some areas, violence interrupters in, in other uh, areas, residents, uh, faith leaders to uh, try to impact uh, in a positive way gun violence that was taking place in this area. Our focus was on shooting. And so four of the five hotspots showed significant reductions and uh, the downtown hotspot showed a 7% increase. So it sounds like Crime is going down four of the five hotspots we talked about, but overall we're seeing a rise in crime in the city. Can you explain that? Well, I, I think uh, I alluded to it earlier. Part of the solution is uh, addressing hot spots, but uh, the other part of uh, the solution is uh, the very small number of individuals that are engaged in these high levels of, of violent crime. And uh, we need to do a better job of addressing that side of the equation. And um, again, I, I think this is an area where we can do better. So I, I want to talk about ShotSpotter. Um, we had Councilwoman Candy Say the Baca on the show a couple weeks ago who feels that ShotSpotter can bring more police into lower-income communities and often communities of color. What is the use of ShotSpotter to you as the person, you know, you oversee the police who utilize this technology? Why is ShotSpotter something that you want to use in Denver? As I indicated, we are seeing a 55% increase in shootings in our city. And there appears to be some sort of misnomer that shot spotter somehow prevents uh, shootings. Uh, let me clear that up. That's not the case. Uh, shot spotter helps us identify uh, when uh, gunshots go off uh, in a uh, particular area, and it helps speed the response. In several cases, uh, there was not a corresponding 911 call. Uh, officers responded and were able to uh, connect a gunshot victim to medical care that ultimately saved their lives. So we have multiple situations or mo multiple incidences where ShotSpotter helped save the life of a gunshot victim. So this is just a tool to help address uh, this increase in, in gun violence. It's not the be-all, end-all. It's not the panacea that's going to solve every issue, but it is uh, part of the solution. It's not the solution. What would you say to that criticism, though, that this is something used in communities of color, or that communities that maybe already feel some sense of over-policing versus, say, 
I always throw Wash Park under the bus, but it's, you know, it's not going to see Shot Spotter in Wash Park versus my neighborhood of Barnum where that, you know, these kinds of things are used. Is that bringing in more police into a community that needs other things? Well, um, let me say that uh, we utilize data to identify where ShotSpotter will be employed. And uh, that data is based on uh, crime reports of actual victims of gunshots. So that is the tool that is uh, used to identify the most appropriate location for ShotSpotter technology. And uh, the technology exists in several uh, different areas and to say that this is exclusive to marginalized or communities of color would also be incorrect and uh, we'll leave it there. Chief Pazin, thank you so much. Thank you. Paul and I, are, we're, we're, we're doing this. We'll create our own uh, podcast. Paul and Paul. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. More follow-up on the Douglas County School District drama. The district says that after an open records request by an unnamed individual, they will release the names of the teachers who called out on February 3rd. And that unnamed individual will get to decide when and how to make that information public. Though many were absent that particular day in protest of the Doug Coe School Board's decision to fire its superintendent, Kyle Clark at Nine News pointed out that there's no real way to know which teachers requested that time off as a personal day or they were out in protest or, you know, maybe they called out sick because we're still in a pandemic. Anyway, some good news. Denver Public Library's new Art Park branch is officially open. The beautifully designed reading space at 35th and Delgany will serve the Five Points, Cole, Globeville, and Elaria Swansea neighborhoods. Hooray for books! That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter, where today, my producer Paul Caroli does a deeper dive on some of the things we talked to Chief Pazin about. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye! And now they're adding three more hotshots and now they're adding hot shots, hot spots, get your hot shots.